This week on the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. Yeah, like where are the, where are the dudes gonna stand to fire? <laughs> they're they're literally <laughs> floating in midair. Doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh... Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a podcast focused on tactics and competitive play for Star Wars Legion. Hosted by Kyle Dornbos, Michael Barry, and David Zelenka, with Jay Shalansky, the man behind the glass. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Mike and David. How are you guys doing? Pretty, Pretty good. good. Uh, 7.9. 7.9. That's your ice skating judge rating. Mm. Oh, it's only been a week. We've already forgotten about that bit. All right. Well, throw that in the trash can. I've like I've like less than a twenty four hour memory. Um, yeah, I, don't, I literally don't know what you're talking about right now. Could you enlighten? That's us? horrifying. No, I'm interested. Quality podcast we put on here. All right, let's keep, let's keep going. Come on. <laughs> okay. So All right. we're going to talk about a couple things today. Um, there were a slew of uh, forum rulings that got posted to the official FFG rules forum. So we'll talk briefly about a couple of those, some of the more relevant ones to the competitive scene. Um, we're going to talk about dobacks because those finally came out on the correctly sized bases. Um, and then we're also, if we have time, going to talk about Operative Luke and the uh, Operative Luke slash FD Cannon slash Triple Sniper Foundation for a list, which is basically my Invader League list, which we've talked in brief uh, on various casts before, but never really in detail. So He talks like we're not going to get to it, but like... <laughs> Oh, this, time, this time it's going to happen. Well, we only have... So this is going to be a short cast because we only have about 40 minutes. So mm-hmm. um, Start your watches, everybody. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> All right. Let's get right into, let's get right into forum rulings. Um, so uh, there were quite a few forum rulings. Most of them were clarifications. Um, there's a couple relevant ones. Uh we're only going to talk about two of them today because I think they're probably the most relevant ones to the competitive scene. Um, the first has to do with R2-D2, who's not out yet, but should be out in January, hopefully. Um, so basically the ruling here is that uh, with secret mission, if a unit with secret mission gets a victory token via the bounty keyword, which happens when you choose to put a bounty on R2, uh, that victory token counts for their secret mission victory point. In other words, as soon as you bounty R2 or select R2 as a bounty target, he's scored his secret mission. That's the form ruling. So don't do it. Period. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Does it doesn't matter. Uh, I, just, uh, I just hate it. I hate this so much. I it, mean... makes, it makes no thematic sense to me. Yeah. Like, I... I get if you want to make R2 like immune to bounty because he's a random droid. If that's the intent, just do that. I mean, I, like, I don't know. I'm For one, it makes no thematic sense that it's like mission accomplished for R2 as soon as he gets targeted by a bounty hunter. It's like, what is Bosk like launching the data disk out of his rifle at R2 or something? As soon as, uh, I don't know. Anyway, I mean, um, you could make the argument that he's like being distracting or something. I mean, distract is printed on one of the unit cards, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't anyway, know. but I think more importantly, like there are. So, just a, a PSA for those that have no idea what we're talking about on the FFG official forums, there is a rules subforum 
and in that subforum is a sticky thread with a bunch of like official FAQ from FFG. Um, there's a bunch of other stuff in there too. You should check that out if you don't know about it. But there's there's a reasonably significant portion of the player base that does not like regularly check this thing. And I'm just picturing a situation where like somebody shows up to a local tournament or something and you know they're playing Bosk or Boba Fett and they're like, I'm gonna bounty R2. And their opponent's like, All right. And then they start the game and their opponent's like, So I got a victory point. Um, thanks for yeah. the game. <laughs> like, and their person's like, What? <laughs> you know? Like you, you hope you hope that people aren't gonna do that, right? You'd hope that when that opposing that the player with the bounty hunter says I'm gonna bounty R2, the R2 player is like, Are you sure? Because you know that he gets a secret mission victory point when you do that. Like I'm sure that will happen most of the time. But you know, unfortunately there are definitely people that are gonna be like all right. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I mean, um, if, 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 if it's high command or worlds, I mean, my answer is okay. Right? I mean, like, I mean, uh, maybe that's a feel bad, but frankly, you should know what your card does and the relevant. Like, Sure. I, I guess my point is, like, if, if the intent is to make him immune to bounty, which is functionally what you're doing here, just do that. Yeah, just so you can't put so a you bounty, bounty R2. Like, what does that look like? Like, how do you functionally put that into the rules? Just write it, make a bullet under secret mission that says that a unit with the secret mission keyword may, may not be selected by a bounty. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think you just, um, the the bottom line here is don't bounty, don't bounty R2. Yep. At least until they reverse that, because that's just silly. <laughs> And also check the forum for all the other stuff. Um, the other quick one to mention is that uh, emplacement troopers can now perform free actions when withdrawing, which means they can pivot. Um, so no more uh, locking up <laughs> a, a mortar with your tauntaun in its front arc. I mean, you can still do that, um, but now they can actually withdraw from you just by taking that free pivot and then running away. So. I think yeah, that's I mean, a great, I think that's a great change. That was super necessary. It felt really lame if they like couldn't run away. Yeah, it needed to be fixed. Cho- choices are important in this game, and that one was a non-choice and really made it bad if you had emplacements in any sort of. So. Yep. All right. Uh, let's move on to Legion One Hundred and One with two backs. It's time for Legion One Hundred and One classes in session. So I actually have a grand total of zero games with two backs. So um, I think I'm going to let you guys take this one away. Let's, let's talk about like basically what, how do you run them and, and what sort of list do you run them in? I'll let you lead on Dash because you're the Empire player in, the, in our Oh mid-tier. boy, man, yep. you guys are really putting me on the spot here. I know <laughs> we are. Come on. Okay, so uh, most of my thoughts on two backs are frankly pretty speculative. Um, pretty what uh, spanky spanky speculative can you not oh, hear me? is everything wow. okay we're using no, no, discord I... today so things are a little bit wonky yeah yeah suncaster was giving us issues um i heard spanky um, anyway oh all right well maybe they're spanky too I don't know. <laughs> um so i mean i think the, the most important thing for the dewbacks is that you have to have a plan i think that um you know so they're they're clearly supposed to be the analogy to Tauntauns, and we've had Tauntauns a while for, uh, around for a while now. I actually think that they're not 
um really close together uh the tauntauns are pretty flexible in that they can choose to um kind of engage or kind of harass your opponent i think with the dewbacks you really need to be like okay this dude is just going to charge <clears throat> and absolutely break in there or he's going to be more of a like a support atrt and you need to make that effective choice before the game begins most of the time um and that kind of informs what your weapon setup is going to be uh i think overall you probably want to be taking the rt uh is it is it the exact same gun that's on the stormtroopers is it the rt97c yeah it's the same it's got the same uh dice yeah um and, and i think that that's probably the best weapon for like a flexible dewback build in that you can kind of like poke around at range and then commit to a melee charge. Um, but, I, but I still think you kind of have to commit to one of those plans at the game start. Like, like if your dewbacks are going to be harassing dewbacks, that's what they're doing this game. If your dewbacks are going to be charging dewbacks, like that's what they're going to do this game. Um, the other weapons. I don't think the T21B upgrade is... It's not a T21B. I think it's just one. Um, is very good. I think it's, like... It, it does, like, both jobs kind of poorly. And the Flamer is more of, like, an all-in on the charge. Um, and depending on what you're trying to do, um, it's necessary or unnecessary. I think if you're going with, the, like, a janky new ways to motivate them, play, like, turn one Flame flame them in the face it can probably be pretty good um but i think outside of that it doesn't have a lot of scope like the flamer is not that much better than the melee attack uh, against most units yeah i was about to say like the flamer man it was so appealing when i first saw it in the article the the trouble that i have with it is it it's really you're paying 20 points for six inches of attack which you know it's it's good, but at the same time, um, going into melee in some ways does the same thing, and in some ways does more. It strips the cover. It, um, you know, ties people up. It's got a pretty good melee profile anyway. Um, if you were running tenacity on your dues, your new ways to motivate them play is going to activate that too. And a red, a single red die is a lot more reliable than a big pile of. Um, relatively crappy dice. I mean, the Dewback Flamers doesn't have the best dice. Um, but still a decent weapon, all told. Um, and also, of course, you know, Flamers go well with Jammers, and I mean, the biggest difference that I can see between the Flamer on the RT and the Flamer on the Dewback is that Dewbacks have Relentless, and so you're going to get your, you're going to get that Flamer going, you know, as long as you can land within six inches of something, so it's very easy to to use in that sense, sort of like the Snowtrooper Flamer is. Um, the trouble is, if you use it against like uh, white save units, you're okay. It's got the same problem all Flamers do is that Flamers can bounce, so to speak. And like even then, if there's like Guardian nearby, Flamers have their own issues. And yeah. uh, currently, it's tough to Guardian. I don't. I think there's only one unit in the game. No, two. If you have the command card, that can Guardian out of melee, and that's specifically the Clone Wars generals can Guardian in melee. Um, so, you know, melee has a big advantage there in that you can't split the pool up. Like, if you if you want to direct this attack against this unit, you're going to get that if you go into melee. 
but you have you have to move six six inches further, which is the trouble. Yeah, it's worth noting that the like sorry about the barbecue um, has kind of a very hidden uh, thing about it. it's not super hidden, but like you kind of take it for granted. Um, in that like the ATRTs have the actual armor keyword, um, so when they run up there and flame something, like it, they could take quite a few shots if your opponent doesn't have a lot of impact before they die. Um, Dewbacks have the basically light cover. Um, and, and that's not super great. Well, and the ATR2 version is also, what, like 35 points cheaper? It is, yeah. That's that's uh, another thing to consider. Like, you're not spending an 110, 120-point unit on on um you know just throwing it in there now that said their threat range is the atrt's threat range is considerably shorter because they don't have relentless or steady and of course dewbacks have relentless um but they have the same base size and when they spur the same move speed so you know you're getting like an extra what is that like seven inches of threat range out of the dewback flamer and you Roughly, can also yeah. like, like flamer peekaboo like snows can, you know, except with a bigger base and a longer move tool. Um, but you know, is it, is that worth 110 points? Is the question. Yeah, I mean, I think overall the answer to that question is probably no. Um, I mean, like <clears throat> the things you can take for 110 points on the imperial side of the coin. Like, okay, I could have death troopers or a dewback. I think I take death troopers most of the time. Yeah, yeah. I think you take DTs. I, th I think if you're worried about droids, um, you know the flame do is pretty darn interesting because that's you know 14 to 16 dice. Yeah, and you could probably run in a jammer on it too, which is which is doubly helpful. Um, but yeah, like if you end up in an Empire mirror and you're going up against Shores or Vader or Palpatine or something like that, um, you know, rolling five blacks and five whites against red dice saves is not going to be super profitable. Yeah. Um, overall, I think it's just, it's pretty inefficient at what it does most of the time. Um, that's not to say that it can't be good, um, but you, you really have to like get it on a game plan and get it where it needs to go. It's also worth noting that um, it's way more... Uh, susceptible to suppression than Tauntauns are. Why is that? Because well, for, for twofold. Um, the first is that uh, spur, yeah. And then the second is that there's not really a cheap... Uh, not, there's not, not really. There isn't a cheap Imperial commander that allows you to get to Church uh, 3 um, to prevent panic. So um, you're looking at a panic bubble of four, unless you're running it with Vader or Palpatine, which I think is sort of questionable in and of itself, um, just because of how expensive it is. But, like, you know, even with Endurance, if, double spurring a return is really dangerous with dewbacks um, if your opponent can get shots off. Yeah, and if you panic, you have to spur. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like once you're panicked, you're kind of you're kind of screwed and dead in the water, you know. Um, 
With that being said, I think that that's a good reason to avoid hostile environment if you're playing Dubax. You should probably just eliminate it out of your deck. Uh, it's notable that it's really hard to get them to touch a terrain piece because their front head sticks so far out over the model that they can't actually base to base it. Um, like a building or something like that. Um, so that can be kind of tough. Yeah, and actually, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting discussion point, perhaps separately for another cast, because there are other models that have this issue too. Um, we've basically been told by FFG to like kind of make it work and pretend that you know their head or tail or whatever is not sticking out over the base, but like in practice, that's kind of difficult. Yeah, and I, and I think when it comes down to specifically like hostile environment, um, that that's that's sort of problematic. Yeah. I don't you know, I I don't think that you can just like make it work. Like that's right. not, it's that's not really how it works. Yeah, you can't just be like, well my Tauntaun can lick this this wall so it counts for hostile environment. Yeah, because the facing <laughs> yeah. facing of the model is incredibly important. Yep. I was just looking at their unit card and I didn't realize that the razor claws and the shock prod have critical two. So that's that's definitely a point in their favor. Um, yeah, I think the melee attack is perfectly serviceable. Yeah, plus they have suppressive in melee, which is also pretty pretty nice because you can get the you can stomp one miniature in the unit and then hit them with a shock prod for another suppression. But that's pretty good. Um, they also have armor one, and they have red dice. And if you put a face up on them, you know maybe you're triggering aggressive tactics there. So I, I think if you set them up, uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to say correctly because there's no correct way to play these things yet because they're so darn new yeah um but you can set the i can definitely see situations where you can set them up to be extremely hard to dislodge once they're in melee and they are just like they, they seem like a really good tar pit because they don't die easily they're a single model unit that's rather large they have six health and they can take a jammer so it's pretty hard to actually get rid of them once they're in yeah, I mean, you definitely have to get them there first. I think it's um, you do have to be a little bit careful getting them there because they are very susceptible to taking a lot of damage on the way. Um, specifically against like other like dewbacks are not good against imperials. They're gonna put a ton of suppression down on you. They have a lot of impact built into their lists already. Um, they have a huge range advantage. Um, I think you really need to have a, a good game plan for how you're going to deal with that based on the board if you run into that and you're taking Yeah, so, you know, like one hidden advantage of Tauntauns is they can get into heavy cover more easily because you can use cohesion to throw that second model behind, like, a line of sight blocker. Yeah. Um, Dubax don't have that ability, so. It's, it's notable that if you do get them behind heavy cover, um, armor one becomes, like, much better than agile. Um, but that generally isn't the case just because you can't get them into cover. Yep. So what do you think, what do you think you run these? You're either running with the RT 97 or you run them with tenacity and just go full melee. I, think I really like the full run melee. Endurance. Yeah. Cause it's yeah. because of spur. I, I don't think it's, yeah. I mean, like I think on Vader, like there's, there's a choice just because the spur is like a, a bit less necessary once you're stuck in. The thing is that if 
the other thing is that like courage three is just so much different than courage two um yeah I, I think you know even if even if you're the thing is if you're reduced to one action on the dewbacks it's actually really painful yeah i think i think if you're running them with vader you can probably do tenacity but otherwise you got to do endurance yeah and um, you, d- you definitely want strict orders um if you've got a, a commander with a command slot yeah endurance sure. and strict should be enough to keep these guys pretty free they can use for quite liberally if that's the case yeah, I think it's also worth noting that I think they're particularly like if you're gonna run them with anybody right now, I would personally choose Veers, um, just because Imperial Discipline is like a really good get out of jail free card when it comes to the suppression bit with the Dubacks. You know, if you get into a bad spot, you can Imperial Discipline and kind of reset yourself. Um, so that's worth. Noting. I would love to see how well they screen for short troopers against. Tauntauns. I think that would be kind of cool to use them as like a blocking screen and just say like, okay, fine, you want to go in melee. Well, I have armor and red dice, and I have suppressive prod, so you know, enjoy fighting me. And I have critical, so I can go through your dodges. Seems good to me. For the do back, that is. Yeah, I mean, um, I think Ram makes that interaction interesting. Just because the Tauntauns almost don't care about the armor. Um, I mean, they'll well, still care, right? Yeah, because armor one almost always cancels a hit unless your dice pool is really small. Yeah, I mean, it, it's essentially going to change like six down to five or five down to four most yeah. of the time, yeah. um, which is which is not nothing. I just I'm not sure the effect of damage going back the other way is that much different. And they're going to have two dodge tokens, which is much better than armor one melee. Right. The hope there is that you roll like a natural crit and a couple surges or something and just say, okay, well, you're going to have to take three, even though you have two dodges. Yeah. Yeah. Or you you, you weather the ram and then you go first next turn, which Imperials do have a lot of good tools for, especially in Yeah. 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 Krennic do's, you know, cunning with a deploy or something like that. That'd be kind of fun. Well, and as far as Chronic is concerned, it's notable that standby tokens are pretty difficult to strip in melee. So, you know, if you can deploy the garrison and do back after they're stuck in, that's almost certainly going to be just like a straight up extra attack. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm digging that. With that being said, it's notable that their melee attack is one of the few melee attacks that can actually deal with uh, an opposing stand, like deploy the garrison. Yep, that's suppressive, yeah. I think the only other suppressive melee attack in the game is Jin, and we don't see Jin hardly ever at the highest level. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's accurate, yep. Um, R2's little shock thing might be suppressive, I don't remember. Oh, you know what, you're right, never mind. <laughs> Not that that ever right. comes into play. <laughs> well... <laughs> Barges you know, and melee, you you done messed up. Yeah, I've seen I've seen R two uh, kill some rebels in my time. <laughs> uh, all right, you guys got anything else on on Jews? No, I think we've hit all the bases. I'm I'm I am looking forward to seeing them because they're new and and a big model, and they probably look amazing if you paint them really nice. But um, otherwise, I think we've covered all the bases strategically. 
Yeah, I'm I'm not sure that there's a ton else to talk about until uh, I personally have started to put them on the table. Um, and I'm not even sure how much I'm going to mess around with that, to be honest. Are we just writing off the crit gun before we leave the T21? Is it just uh, too risky? I mean, it's it's ten points, which is it's the cheapest gun you can give them. Um, uh, like, I can see if you're running the melee version and you're like, well, I guess they need a gun. That's probably the one you pick. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's probably the only reason you're taking it. I I do think that they need a gun. I think the RT is probably better, but. Yeah, you run into that hole giving something that already has surge to hit critical, which is, you know, the problem veterans have. So, like, how much does it increase your offense really is always the question. Yeah, I mean, it, the answer is that it's a lot better against heavy cover. Um, right. But when when you're only using it once, maybe twice a game, because you're trying to charge something. I... I mean, functionally, it's like a T21, but with worse dice and no free aim tokens <laughs> and shorter range. Uh-huh. But it's only 10. Sorry, T21B. And, yeah, and, it's only and it also converts a surge, whereas the base profile does not. Right, yeah. but So higher ceiling, but a much lower floor and crappier range. I think so. I don't know. It, it could turn out that it's amazing. We'll see. Um, yeah, I mean, you could just get the god roll and be like, oh, here's a crit and three surges, and guess what? You're taking four hits through cover for my ten points. Like, But that's rare. You know, it's super rare. You know, what I will say is that um, J so Jay and I played a game that hopefully will go up on YouTube sometime soon over the weekend, and um, he played pin down again on my Master of Evil turn. And I'm not going to say how that ended up going because I think it's interesting and fun um, but it's worth noting that pin down works in melee so I, I, it's a kind of unique interaction and a kind of cool way to use the two bags that way too right because they're a support unit so you can actually flip tokens with pin down that's great yeah you can just throw them back in their bag you know so it's like it's like double the fall yeah, I mean, you still have to win priority for it to be helpful. Right. It can miss, basically, because, you know, you're in melee, so. Yeah. And if you're running a jammer anyway, chances are you've already denied them that token. That's accurate. All right. Uh, well, shall we move on to... Mr. Luke Skywalker. Yeah, let's do op, it. Op Luke is OP. <laughs> the, I think the, the correct terminology here is busted. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's good. Um, I mean, so he's not even out yet, um, but at least officially. Um, of course, we've been using him uh, in Invader League. He is very proxyable because all of his rules are out there. Um, in fact, his unit card and command cards are also out there now with primes um, happening. And, you know, it's super easy to just use, like, the, the normal Luke model um, for him. So for folks that are not on TTS and want to play around with him, obviously that's pretty easy to do. 
I recommend it. It's really fun. Um, he's real good. So <laughs> this is um, <laughs> it's full of information. This segment. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. After he comes out, um, we'll do like a proper full like Legion one hundred and one section on Operative Luke. Um, since we have somewhat limited time, and this section is our competitive section, uh, and some stuff recently happened in Invader League that's relevant. Um, I think we'll probably just focus today on like the Operative Luke Triple Sniper FD Turret List Foundation, um, and how that works. And then at some point after he actually comes out, um, you know, we'll do like a full blown Legion 101. Here's how to Operative Luke kind of thing. I'm pretty sure that that starts and ends with play him, right? <laughs> Come on, he's not like autopilot. Uh, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he is not he is not in fact step one aim step two shoot that is true. <sighs> He's not autopilot in that sense. He is autopilot in the sense where it's like step one jump, step two force push, step three shoot or whatever. I mean, it's not even quite that simple though because like yeah. timing timing and positioning is super important with oh, oh yeah with him and with I mean with any melee piece, but um, especially when it's expensive. What's that? He's also a quarter of your list just by himself. So, like, if you want to get any kind of activation count rolling, you got to take a bunch of cheap stuff. Thankfully, FD cannons and triple snipers are fairly cheap for what they do. Yeah. So, um, the goal of the like, you know, Luke FD triple sniper foundation is essentially to create like a range five advantage, right? You've got five, or you've got four units there that can shoot range five. And then, presumably, the rest of your army. Is some kind of like range three situation because rebels have basically that as far as options are concerned outside of snipers in the FD. DLT um, twenty. Yeah, soon they will have the DLT twenty. Um, but even that at that range, like you're in that range three to four band, you're going to be at a strong disadvantage to any sort of dedicated gunline list like an Empire shoreline. Um, you know, so ideally you want to keep. You want to keep them either at range five or you want to force them to kind of like come up into Luke's threat range, which is the whole point of this combination. Right. That range five pressure, you know, is going to force your opponent to play the game essentially and engage you. Heaven forbid they play the game. I'm, so, I'm oh, sorry. That's my, man. that's my very, that's my very um, cynical approach to wargaming talking. Please continue. No, no, I think, I think you're right. I just, I'm, you know, the point is like you want you want to set up a situation and this this works if you have terrain with line of sight blockers in the right places and if you successfully orchestrate turn zero um my cat likes operative luke also um like you want to create a situation where if your opponent wants to move up to engage you at range three or four like engage your main the main body of your force they're putting themselves within jump range of luke and that's doable if during turn zero, you know, you pick the right deployment and objectives and they end up in the right places relative to the line of sight blockers, basically. Right. And we've seen in your Invader League game how much pressure Operative Loot can exert when stationed behind a jumpable piece of line of sight blocking terrain that happens to be near an objective. Um, your, your opponent basically now has to choose, um, do I allow Operative Loot to charge me or do I do I just lose because I didn't complete my objective. 
Yeah, he's really good specifically on evaporators. Um, which so I played against Zero Moon in the top eight game on Friday, and we played evaporators. Um, and there was uh, we played this map with like a sort of like maybe like an eight inch long wall. Yeah, it was like uh, a fence looking thing. But... Fence near the middle of the table. Um, so I actually, uh, since it's TTS, I scouted this map a little bit in advance. Um, and some of the boards on the fence were tall enough to hide him, and some of them were not. <laughs> right, so you had to like you had the you had the luxury of picking the correct board. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, Zero Moon put one of his evaporators, um, basically like close enough to this wall that I could threaten it from the other side with Luke. Um, so that's what I did. <laughs> You're basically capitalizing on an error, right? At that point. Yeah, and that's. I mean, that's what Legion is, though, right? Like, um, I think all of Legion is, like, ultimately, there's no such thing as a mistake-free game, right? Like, both players will make multiple mistakes at, over the course of the game, and um, it's, it's important just to f figure out what those are and, and capitalize them. Um, yeah. And Operative Luke, specifically, is very good at capitalizing on a, like, an objective that is close enough for him to threaten without actually, like... I don't think I even went in and meleeed anything until turn three or four. Yeah, and even then you were you were doing things like you know oh I let my short troopers be in a place where Luke could yank them around a corner and then engage them safely. You know there was speaking of capitalizing on mistakes, right? It was sort of like actually I don't even have to uh, follow through on the original threat that I made if you misplaced this other unit. Now I can just move over here instead. Uh, you know, drag you around a corner with a force push and then uh, tie you up and kill you, you know, in relative safety. Yeah, so this is a tactic that's good on all force users um, that are reasonably fast. With force push is, you know, who you engage is just as important as uh, as where you engage. Like it, when I first played Luke, um, Commander Luke, my instinct was just to be like, you know, I'm, I'm a 40k player, and so I'm used to melee being a little bit safer, so to speak. Um, so I'm like, all right, I got this. I got this big, scary dude with a lightsaber. As soon as I can get to my opponent, I'm going to charge in there and I'm going to kill everything. Um, so that's what I did. And then, <laughs> you know, he killed like one thing, or most of one thing, and then those stormtroopers or whatever they were withdrew, and then he shot me with the rest of his army. <laughs> so. Right, and he destroyed you because you were vulnerable. But since then, right, the tactic has been adapted to where you uh, create an engagement where that doesn't happen after the fact. And I mean, even then you have a, a stopgap measure uh, because you can choose not to use Pierce. So if you, you don't have to declare it until you see your opponent's defense roll. Right, so there's, there's two things there. The first is using force push to like relocate your target into a safe area. Um, and you have... Uh, basically two speed one moves to do this with right you have the speed one move of the unit leader and then you also have cohesion which is itself another speed one move um you cannot cohere into melee so you can't like um you know use that second guy uh from the cohesion to drop him into melee with luke and be in melee um but what you can do is do one move you know get within force push range um you your opponent like around a corner or something with those two speed one moves and then uh use your second move to melee uh, that guy that you just cohered in a safe location for you. 
Um, right. The trick is having that last movement available, so you don't have to force push the leader into you to start the melee. You're actually sort of gaining ground even by, you know, doing the force push, doing the cohesion favorably for you, and then taking your second move to go this far behind this piece of terrain as you as you deem necessary. Yep. And then the second thing you mentioned with Pierce is that Pierce is optional. Um, we've mentioned this before on the cast, I think. A long like, time ago. If if you if you want to not wipe a unit, which is sometimes the case, like um, you know, it's often not a good idea to charge units that have activated already because they can't withdraw from you. And if you're in a position where if you applied all of your pierce value, that unit would be wiped, and then Luke would get shot. Um, you can essentially choose not to apply the pierce and let your opponents save or saves stick so that Luke is safe. You know, for that turn. Yeah, so it's absolutely brutal, but it should be brutal because, you know, you're paying 220 points, whatever, for this guy. And uh, we were kicking around. So um, my invader list is basically that Jedi Luke uh, FD turret. Uh, the new range 5 FD is great, by the way. Um, and then three snipers and then like a bunch of Z6s and an Imperial officer. Um, I think once R2 comes out, you can easily slot him in there instead of one of the Z6s. Excuse me, you said Imperial officer? <laughs> Did I say that? You did. <laughs> because sorry. the Imperial Officer is better, of course. I wish it was an Imperial Officer. It's the Rebel Officer. Um, yeah. You can still feed Dosh tokens to Luke. Yes. Yeah, you wish it was Imperial, so you could feed AIM tokens to your FD cannon. I mean, you can just whatever. take Electro Binoculars and turn it into an Imperial Officer, right? Right, you can just take an 8-point upgrade. Yeah, I mean, 8 points is hard to find. Um, like, I, So, I at least in mind. These days, 8 points is hard to find. It's like, well, let's stop taking bids then. <laughs> Yeah, so that's the other thing. I mean, I have a six-point bid. Um, I like blue player because it gives you three vetoes before the game starts, and then also um, it lets you pick table side. And you win victory point ties, which means on certain objectives you're the defender, which I really like. But anyway, um, that's like a conversation for a whole other cast. Yeah, of course. Uh, whole other bag of worms. Yeah, but anyway, you can build a lot of different ways around this sort of like a basic foundation. Um, I chose Z6s, which I've kind of regretted actually in my games against Empire because I think they've caused the total, at least in Elims, um, for Invader against the two the two short lines that I've played. I think they've caused a total of like three wounds across both games. I, I, know, I sort of feel like we should have to have a talk with Luke about that before we talk about your Z6s not doing anything. Um, oh yeah, well uh, I said against the short lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you, you mean Master of the Force, Luke, not Luke Skywalker. Yes, that is yeah, exactly yeah. what I mean. Um yeah, well we talked about that last week. I had a some crazy Z6 rolls in that game. Um but for the most part they've they've done almost nothing against at least against my Empire opponents. Um but you could actually fit some Tauntauns in there. <laughs> yeah, if you go down to three Naked Rebel Troopers, you can actually fit two tenacity Tauntauns into the list. It's uh yeah, you can just shoehorn those things in there and just uh I mean it's it's kind of rebel good stuff. I don't know if it's optimal. I mean, okay, it's not optimal, all right. There's some turns where you lose order control. Um now you could drop one sniper and put uplinks on the Tauntauns. And I think that might be worth looking at because then you have control back again at the cost of one range five piece, which you know, that still hurts you, but you know, you want the Tauntauns to be as dangerous as possible because that's why you took them. 
And uh, just the the fact that you can serve your master on a tauntaun and then melee with Luke, it's like having a, a second son of Skywalker. <coughs> yeah, gross. I'm sorry. Gross. Yeah, you just barfed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty good. It's, it's gross. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that said, I I like the Z sixes just because like if so I like to run all six of Luke's command cards because I think they're all all great. Um, or at least. Very good, and uh, you know, at least with the Z six model, you don't—you literally don't care if anyone has an order except for Luke, for the most part. Um, so, yeah, that's why I like that one. But I can see it doing a lot of different ways. Yeah. So, right. so I mean, give it a try, and um, there's also some room to experiment also with Commander Luke as well, uh, since we don't have Operative Luke released. But, uh, you know, I think I'm going to try it both ways and see which one I like better and see which one is crazier. Yep. I'm super looking forward to painting them. That model's awesome. So Yeah. Um, all right. All right. Well, uh, at some point, we'll do a full deep dive on Operative Luke once he's out. Um, but that's at least the, as it relates to Invader League in my experience. Um, yeah, we're starting to see he's real good. And um, Yep. Yeah, the future is very bright for him, I think. Yep. And um you can pair him with other commanders besides the Rebel Officer too. Um but then your paints, you know, you got some command card opportunity taxes there. But anyway, you guys got any any f- final thoughts? Uh, uh no, no. I'm good. It's nice to finally outrange the empire. <laughs> At least I mean, it depends on what they run, but At least yes. the first turn. <laughs> yeah, and you know, FD is like super map dependent too. You can have oh, a map yeah. or an objective where you drop it, and you're like, "Well, this is going to do nothing all game." Just, just remember that if it sits, it fits, folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brave experiment. If you can, if you can balance it, it's legal. Yep, balances it's legal. So, go forth and uh, go forth and make your opponent uh, roll their eyes all the harder when you find some abusive <laughs> spot on the map to push your FD turret down. So, not to go too far into this, but I do think that emplacement specifically, you're right, if it, it fits, it sits. Uh, I think it has to act. I would prefer that those things actually have to have the space to fit wherever they go. Um, yeah, you can get some pretty silly placements. Yeah. yeah. I saw really some can. stupid pictures of it, like sitting on a turret on, a, on like a pillar that's like twenty percent of its base size. <laughs> it's I, like, like oh, it balanced. No, it's I, good. Yeah, like that's kind of like yeah. The pillar is narrower than the actual turret on the base. Like, uh, yeah, well, like where the, where are the dude's gonna stand to fire? <laughs> they're they're literally floating in midair. Doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. Uh, it's it's yeah. definitely a case where it's like this made sense when we ruled it this way at the time because it was punishing repulsors too heavily. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, I think it just needs to be like a bullet point on like emplacements. I think is fine, you know. And probably vehicles too, because in theory you could put like a tank or an ATST on some of the similarly ridiculous positions. Yeah, and if they balance, then they're good to go. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, it re- repulsors can like not have to deal with that. That's fine. Yep. that makes sense. Yeah, I'm totally. Totally kosher with repulsors doing that, you know. Um, but things that don't fly probably should either. Yeah, I think it's fine with small base troopers too, because 
they have tiny feet. Um. Okay. All right. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's the reasoning behind this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. Tiny feet. All right. You heard it here first. You you could say that they have a small footprint compared to the FD cannon. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. We need a we need a rim shot drop, Jay. Good night, everybody. Uh, all right. Borrow that from the Animaniacs. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we are the Notorious Scoundrels. I'm Kyle. I'm Mike. I'm David. Join Stay us fresh, next week back. for another episode of the Notorious Scoundrels. This has been a Fifth Trooper production.